It's been a couple months since I've been able to share with you um, at this time in our worship service, and um, something has changed since the last time I stood up here, and I'm just going to address it because I don't want it to be a distraction to you. I've had people approach me and say, something's different about you, and since the last time I've stood up here, I have been able to shed my glasses. Now, I ended up Um, I'm too young for this, but I ended up having a cataract, and my right eye was completely gone. And so when I would stand up here, even with my glasses, I would not be able to see this section at all. But I can see you today. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, it's a huge blessing. You know, it happens gradually, and um, you don't realize how bad it is until you get it fixed, and then it's like a whole new world, and so um, it's really cool. But yeah, so I'm so thankful for my eyesight, and um, I'm glad to have it back. So hopefully I won't need glasses for a couple more years. We'll see how it goes, but um, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the minor prophets. Now, the Briner Prophets consist of 12 books at the end of the Old Testament. They're, they're found back there behind all the major prophets. Um, we also have a few books in the Old Testament called Major Prophets. Now, just because these 12 are called minor doesn't mean they're any lesser than the major ones. The Minor Prophets are just as important as any other book in the Bible. They are called minor simply because of their size. For example, the prophet Isaiah, which is a major prophet, has 66 chapters in the book. And there are some minor prophets that only consist of one chapter. And so it's basically based on size. And so they're called minor because they're a lot smaller. Now, like I said, the minor prophets are found at the end of the Old Testament. Many of them are entitled with names that are hard to pronounce and even more difficult to spell. For instance, we're going to be looking at Habakkuk in just a few minutes. It's a strange name. Um, I can spell it now by typing. I probably would struggle saying it, verbalizing it, but I've typed it a lot as I typed this sermon, and so I can spell it pretty well now. But the one minor prophet that you're probably most familiar with is Jonah. Jonah is a minor prophet, and we've all have probably heard that story. These small books are hard to find when you're looking for one in particular. Even for me, I, I struggle finding these books if I'm trying to go to a specific place. I even like take my Bible and slowly flip, hoping that I don't pass it by and that it jumps out at me. I had to learn the books of the Bible for class, and so I studied it for the test, and that was it. So I don't know, like I, I'm telling you, we're studying Habakkuk. I don't know what prophets before Habakkuk. I don't know what prophets after Habakkuk, and I would be flipping there, hoping it just pops out at me if I was looking for it this morning. Now, I saved you some time. I looked for you in the Pew Bibles, and the Bibles provided for you. It's on page 712. So if you want to follow along this morning. Now, sometimes there's some shame and some guilt and some embarrassment when you can't find a particular book in the Bible, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. But I'm telling you, don't worry about that. Even I struggle finding some of the books of the Bible. And, and 
fortunately, every Bible has a table of contents, and you can find the page number of, of any book that you're looking for in the front. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to use that. Now, like I said, there are 12 minor prophets, and we only have four weeks. And so we're only going to be able to look at four of them, but I think we'll enjoy the ones we do look at. Um, This morning, we're going to look at Habakkuk. But I want to spend some time talking about how we should read and study the prophets, because there are a few things to remember when we do this today. The first thing to remember is this. Don't get stuck on what might happen in the future. Now, it's just natural. When we think of the word prophet, we automatically begin to think of prophecy. What what is he saying that's going to happen in the future and maybe even go clear to the end times? Don't get stuck on what might happen in the future. It's true. Sometimes the prophets did have a message for God's people concerning the future, but we're a few thousand years removed. And so a lot of those things that the prophets wrote about that was going to happen in the future have already come to pass, especially the ones concerning Jesus. Now, there may still be a few that is going to happen the end times and that sort of thing, but don't get stuck on that. Most of it has already happened. Many times these things were specific details concerning um, the sin of God's people and the judgment they would face if they didn't turn their life around. So a lot of the future prophecy given by the prophets have already been fulfilled, especially concerning Christ. And so we're not going to spend time talking about what might or might not happen in the future, and I encourage you not to get stuck on those things. The second thing to remember is this. Don't compare America to Israel. Now, when I say Israel, I'm talking about God's people, okay, not the current nation, Israel. Don't equate America to God's people. We're not living under the old covenant. The prophets of the Old Testament were preaching and writing to God's people before Christ, before the Messiah. God's covenant with his people today is much different than his covenant with his people then. And we have to keep that distinction in mind. We cannot equate our current situation, our current circumstances with what we read in the prophets in the Old Testament. It's just not the same. We're not facing the same things. We're not dealing with the same world powers. Assyria and Babylon are not threatening to us. But the sad thing is, there are people who do this. And maybe some of you have got caught in this before, where you're reading something and it sounds exactly what we're experiencing today. And so you begin to think that the warnings for God's people then are the same warnings to us. And we've got to be careful with that. Because we're living under a new covenant on a different side of the cross. And so, so be careful with that. Don't compare America with Israel. The warnings issued to Israel are, 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 are not the same warnings to us today. The prophets of the Bible did not have America in mind when they wrote these words. And the people reading them would not have thought anything about us. And so we can't do that. It doesn't match up. 
And this leads to the third thing to remember while reading and studying the prophets. Don't forget the cross. We must filter what we are reading in the prophets through the cross of Jesus. Everything changed when God stepped out of heaven and became flesh, ultimately to go to the cross to die for us. Everything changed. Jesus' sacrifice established the new covenant between God and his people. When Jesus was eating the Last Supper with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. He took the cup and he passed it. And when he passed the cup, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for their forgiveness of sins. Our situation is different than what God's people faced under the old covenant. God God does deal with sin. He has to deal with sin. Sin deserves to be punished. But that looks a lot different now today because Jesus took our punishment for us. And so under the old covenant, God would punish his people by sending world powers and destroying them and taking them into exile. And fortunately for us, we're under the new covenant because Jesus took that punishment for us. And so we must not forget the cross when we read the prophets of the Old Testament. God will still deal with sin. It doesn't mean that sin won't affect our relationship with him, but it does mean our sins will not be held against us because Jesus took that to the cross. Now this, of course, is for God's people. God's enemies will still face judgment. They still may face destruction for their sins. But as Christians, when we read the prophets and we see warnings for God's people, we need to think of the cross and be thankful for that. So as you read through the prophets on your own, remember these things. It will help you to not get sidetracked on what is going on and it will help you stay focused to what the original writer was intending for his original audience. Don't get stuck on things that might happen in the future. Don't compare America with God's people. And don't forget the cross. And so, with all that being said, let's now look at Habakkuk. Again, it's on page 712 in the Bibles before you. Now, as, as I tell the story of what is going on, give you some history, give you some background, um, and talk about the scripture, we'll pull out three life lessons for us today that we can draw from the book of Habakkuk. Now, not much is known about this guy. In fact, all that we know about Habakkuk is what is written in his writings found in Scripture. His name is not found anywhere else in the Bible. There are no details about his family, about where he grew up, about anything. All we can learn about this guy is by studying what he wrote. And we can learn a little bit about him. In fact, we can, we can figure out that he cared for God's people. He loved God's people. He saw injustice happening to God's faithful people, and he was heartbroken. He loved them. We can, we can figure out that he was bold. He was, he was bold enough to approach God and actually complain to God. And when God answers him, he doesn't like the answers he's given, and so he complains about the answer that God gives him. And so he's bold and he's open with God about what he's feeling and experiencing. 
He was bold and spoke openly with, with God. We can, we can also figure out that he's faithful to God. And even though he didn't like what he was seeing and what God was doing, he ultimately submitted to his authority. He must have been an interesting guy. Um, most scholars believe that he was well-respected in the nation of, of Israel and in Jerusalem. And, and most believe that he was a worship minister in the temple, all from just reading his writings in the Bible. Now, there were some crazy things happening in the world while Habakkuk was in ministry. God's people were a mess. The prophet, he was an eyewitness to some of the best times for God's people and some of the worst times for God's people. You see, when he first started, there was a good king, King Josiah. And Josiah was a reformer, and he, he followed God, and he actually led the people back to God. And things were really good for God's people. But at the same time, world powers were going up against each other, and things were shifting. Assyria had been the leading nation of the world up to this point, but Egypt and Babylon were both rising up trying to take control. And Babylon eventually wins out and becomes the new world power. But through this struggle, all this, this fighting and these, these nations trying to take control, King Josiah was killed and his son took his place on the throne. And his son was one of the worst kings of Israel, of God's people. One of the most evil kings to rule God's people. He not only allows pagan worship, but he welcomes it. He encourages it. Jewish tradition considers him, this is what, what is written about him in Jewish history. He was a godless tyrant who committed atrocious sins and crimes. He was a nasty, nasty man. And under his rule, people suffered. God's people, God's faithful people begin to become oppressed. And this is why Habakkuk cries out to God on behalf of these faithful people. In the opening verses of the book, he speaks of the hard times that he's seen God's people suffering in. Look at, look at how the book of Habakkuk begins. Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so the justice has become perverted. Things are not good within God's people. And Habakkuk is crying out, to God. People were in conflict, living in open sin, worshiping idols, and oppressing the poor and the defenseless. And Habakkuk couldn't take it any longer. And all of this is going on while Habakkuk is called into ministry. And he went to God with some questions. Now, one interesting thing about Habakkuk is the fact that he's the one who begins this conversation. In most cases, God would call a prophet and God would go and initiate the conversation, but not so with Habakkuk. 
Habakkuk goes to God first. Where are you? Why aren't you stepping in and doing something? Don't you see your people suffering? All this stuff is going on around him, and he can't understand why God is just sitting by watching it happen. God is a God of justice, right? But story after story, Habakkuk sees people suffering. Injustice surrounds him. Why isn't God helping the faithful, the poor, the defenseless? Habakkuk just can't understand this. Have you ever wondered where God is in the midst of your injustice? Have you ever wondered why God isn't stepping in and making something right in your life? Have you ever felt like God is just sitting by watching you suffer? Listen, being frustrated because God seems absent is not a new thing. It happened thousands of years ago and it still happens today. And this is our first life life lesson. There are times in life when God seems absent. Look again at verse two. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. There are times in life when we just want God to step in and do something. And he seems to be absent. But I want you to know, just because it may seem like God is absent, it doesn't mean he is. Just because God isn't stepping in and doing something doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. Just because injustice seems to be happening all around us, it doesn't mean that God will not serve up justice eventually. Habakkuk cried out to God and asked him, Some of these questions, and here's the cool thing, God answered him. Sometimes we don't hear from God, but God answered Habakkuk. God told Habakkuk he was going to deal with the sins of his people. Babylon, this new world power, is going to come in and destroy them. That's God's answer. Babylon will be the Lord's instrument to deal with these things. And this seems to be even more offensive to Habakkuk. He can't believe it. Babylon was even more wicked than the wickedness he was seeing within his own people. How could God use such a wicked people to carry out his plan? How could God use a pagan nation to come in and deal with the sin? This is offensive. And so Habakkuk now does something that's very relatable. We can relate to this. He first complains to God about not doing anything. God answers him, and he begins to question why God is going to do what he's going to do. We can relate to that, can't we? The the conversation looks something like this. Habakkuk says, God, why aren't you doing something? And God answers, oh, I'm about to. This is what I'm going to do. Well, what are you going to do that for? (laughs) Habakkuk cannot fathom why God would do this. It just doesn't make sense. And this leads us to our second life lesson. 
there are times in life when God handles things differently than we think he should. This happens all the time, doesn't it? This is how the prophet says it in in Habakkuk 1, verses 12 through 13. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Listen, being frustrated because God does things differently than what we would is not a new thing either. God is going to accomplish his plan in his own time and in his own way. And this is, this is often different than what we would do. The Bible says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. The New Living Translation actually says it like this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. And so if you think you have the best way to handle something, God has a plan that's far beyond anything you could even think of. We simply cannot understand the ways of God. In fact, many times God's ways really don't make sense to us. A lot of them are counterintuitive, illogical. They don't make sense at all. Like when he, when he shrunk Gideon's army down to 300 men to go fight the armies of Midian. It doesn't make sense. Or when, when God healed Naaman of leprosy by going to the Jordan and dipping seven times in the river. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Joshua was told to conquer the fortress, the city Jericho, by marching around the walls, yelling and blowing trumpets. You remember what happened in that story? The walls came tumbling down. (laughs) Right? God's ways are far beyond our ways. We don't get it. Things just don't seem to add up. But God knows best. And he does things differently than we would. And so Habakkuk goes to God again and asks for an explanation. God, why are you doing these things? And God responds. God didn't have to reply to Habakkuk. God doesn't have to answer to us why he does the things he does. He doesn't owe us an explanation for anything. And a lot of times he doesn't answer, but in this case he does. And in Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 3, this is what it says. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And this is our, first, our third life lesson today. There are times in life when God asks us to wait patiently. This may be the hardest lesson for all. Sometimes we have to wait patiently on the Lord. I take that back all the times. (laughs) We have to wait patiently on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is a common theme found throughout scripture. David wrote about it in the Psalms. We see it here in the prophets. We even see it in Revelation. When John sees this vision of the throne room, 
he sees people under the altar crying out to God, God, when will you judge the earth? When will you avenge our death? And God says, you have to wait a little longer. God is going to execute his plan, but it will be in his time. God is a patient God. And when you begin to think about how patient God is, you should be thankful. (laughs) We should be thankful we have a patient God. But for us, we want things to happen now. We want God to step in now. And I don't have to tell you how hard it is to be patient. We We all get that. We understand that. The difficult thing is that not only we have to wait, but typically we have to wait a really long time. (laughs) God seems to like to wait until the last possible moment to step in and act. Sometimes this is described as the 11th hour. God is a God of the 11th hour. He seems to wait until the last possible moment. And then he steps in and acts. And this is is generally true. It's not 100%. Sometimes God is swift. Sometimes he takes care of things right away. But generally, he waits. And he asks us to wait too. In Habakkuk's case, God knows how wicked the Babylonians are. He knows that they are sinful people. And he will deal with their sin But right now he needs them to complete his plan to deal with the sins of his people. But God will not let Babylon's sin get away. He will not let it go unpunished. He will deal with them. It may not happen as quickly as Habakkuk wants, but it will definitely happen, and God tells him that. Three life lessons from the book of Habakkuk. You probably noticed the life lessons we talked about this morning all begin with the phrase, there are times in life. And I kind of chuckled about that after I wrote this sermon and was studying it. I don't want to mislead you. This is true. There are times in life when these things happen. The truth is, though, these things seem to happen all the time. All the time. It is rare when God acts quickly and does things just the way we want him to. It is very rare. But the thing we need to remember is this. God will accomplish his plan in his own time and in his own way. Let me say that again. God will accomplish his plan in his own time and in his own way. Habakkuk learned this. He goes from complaining about God not stepping in to complaining about how God is going to handle things to fully trusting and submitting to God's authority. And he writes this beautiful passage at the very end of the book. The last three verses, Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18 says this. And even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle gardens are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be faith joyful 
and the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is saying, no matter how bad circumstances may get, I will find joy in the Lord because he is my salvation. And this is where we can find our joy too. No matter how bad your circumstances may be in life, you have joy because you have a God who loves you. You have a God who loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. You can have joy because Jesus took your punishment to the cross. You can have joy because your sins are forgiven. We can have joy and the God of our salvation. And so when you begin to get discouraged, when you begin to get discouraged because God seems absent in your life and he's not doing the things that you think he ought to be doing, when you get discouraged because you're tired of waiting, remember Habakkuk and find your joy in the God of your salvation. Let's stand. Father, we come before you this morning recognizing just how great you are. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. All creation is yours, and, and Lord, we are in your hands. Forgive us, Father, when we think and maybe even act like we know how to handle things better than you. We don't. Help us to trust you, Lord, and have faith in you when we don't understand maybe what you're doing. And Father, I pray for those right now who are experiencing some sort of injustice in their life. I pray for those who are waiting for you right now, Lord. I pray you intervene in their life. I pray, Lord, that they experience freedom for whatever they are dealing with. Father, we know you can do that. But Father, if you ask them to wait, I pray you help them trust you and have faith in you during that time. And Father, as we all go through life, help us come to the same conclusion as Habakkuk and recognize that no matter how difficult things may get in our life, how crazy things may may seem, we can find joy in you because of your love and your salvation. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.